Well, this morning, I have a somber confession to give to you and the, the, the church. Um, tomorrow morning, I'll turn myself into the proper authorities. But I've been a fugitive from the law for about 37 years. And so, my wife didn't know it. Kept it a good secret. I didn't know it. The teachers <laughs> didn't know it. Lou didn't know it. So I have to turn myself in. Suffering. Plexus, war, shortages, inflation. Everybody's hurting. Suffering. The DMV. <laughs> okay, I know I'm OCD, so I only have one thing that really bothers me. My wife's license is due. You gotta get this real Missouri ID thing within a, a year, supposedly. So I thought to myself, let me, let God grow me. <laughs> let me apply the sermon to my life. And so I'll go in ahead of time, because every time, and people license girl, fine, it's not about that, but it's like, I'll go in there, because I know I'll go in there and we'll need something, and so at least I'll figure it out so she can go in there and get it all done. So I go in there. I went back three times that day. Go get this, go get this. No, you don't have this. And then finally, I don't have the final thing. Same lady, too. Okay, so I go back the next day. Oh, man, I am geared. I got everything. I go in there, loud and proud, you know, and I'm watching her. Let's say something about people that live in Rogersville, because I live in Rogersville. This wasn't at Rogersville, but the lady a few tickets before me uh, was really giving this lady the what for, and it was the same lady, and then I heard her say she was in Rogersville, so she knows we're all you know, not nice people, I guess. But, all right, so then it's my turn. I got my little ticket. I didn't get any pastry with it. Okay, or whatever, you know, this little ticket full. And I get up there, and the first thing I thought, going to be godly. It'll share this as a sermon example. No, I wouldn't think about the sermon example. It's like, I want to be a, a godly man. It's like, I said, there's same lady from the day before. I'm smiling, knowing I got everything. I got it in my envelope. You know, I'm ready to go. I said, you know, I really ask your forgiveness if I was not as nice as I should have been the other day. And you do a really good job. And you know, that was really great. So we come through it. I'm checking all the boxes. She, she takes my blood type. She, you know, uh, she checks my shoe size. You know, uh, you know, every, everything. I'm checking it. I'm like, I'm, I'm there. I'm going for the win. We're almost there. I can see it. And she types in a little computer, and then she walks off. And then she brings the supervisor back. <laughs> Sir, you're so great that you have all your stuff that we want to give you a special award. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh, she says you you have a suspension in Tennessee. <laughs> I said I haven't been to Tennessee. I thought it was the convention last year. Maybe we were downtown, parked in the wrong place. They took a picture or whatever. I don't know. I hadn't been in Tennessee living, I went to college for one year in Tennessee in 1986. <laughs> Sir, you have two citations and you won't be able to get your license until you get this cleared up. I thought to myself at first, what level of hell am I in? <laughs> but we know that, I mean, I, if, if there was going to be torture, this would be an endless circle. <laughs> 
So I, I'm like, okay, gotta be godly, walk away from that. They didn't put the cuffs on me. I call up the state of Tennessee. Um, yeah, you got two citations. And then we get in the go ask your mom, go ask your dad situation where you've got to call the county of Madison County, and they don't only keep records for 10 years. This is 30-some years. And by the way, you're the second oldest citation we've ever seen around here. So, okay? All right. And so I called up the county, and I'm thinking the song, I fought the law and the law won. Okay? I called up the county, and I know I'm laughing. I know God is laughing, saying, I'm going to teach you not to worry about anything. Okay? I'm going to see how, well, okay. So I call them up and they go, oh yeah, uh, we don't have the files, but we'll let the, let the state know that we don't have the files, so then you can get it off your record, so then you can get your license, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they go, oh, you can't do that until Monday, because our supervisor is the only one that can do that. So I'm a fugitive from the law. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be leaving shortly. <laughs> what did you <laughs> Suffering. It's part of life, okay? You know? I knew God was trying to grow me, but, but I mean, I'm like, what? You know? And so, and I went, heads up for all of you, because I wasn't running from something. I could figure out exactly what happened. I was going to a Bible college in downtown. Nashville, I was, like I said, I was trying to be a country music singer and Bible, all that kind of stuff. And I bet you money I got a parking ticket or something. I have no idea. And then they tried to send it. They sent it to the school's address. And obviously, they didn't have my address. And there you go. And so now, let's turn them in. So suffering is part of life. And you can choose the world's path. Because, I mean, I tried to shake it. I moved from Nashville to... Uh, to Missouri, and then they started to find me out. That's why I left Fast Chapel as a youth minister, because they were hot on the trail. I went to Texas, and then I went to Oklahoma, and then I came back to Missouri, and they still found me. So suffering is a part of life, and we can either choose the world's path to try to alleviate suffering, or we can choose to follow Christ and suffer for the win. <laughs> That's your action statement today. Follow Christ. Uh, Follow Christ for the win. And obviously your points are going to spell out the word win, W-I-N. And last week we talked about suffering's part of life, and we suffer for good, okay? And we're blessed and honored to suffer with Christ, and that we shouldn't fear man, and that we're on a mission, and our goal is a good, clear conscience. I will say this about myself. Either I forgot about it or it didn't get to me. I'm the kind of person that if I had something I had to deal with, I'm not going to run from it. But that's all you know about me because I've been lying to you for however long. But to have that good conscience between God and man. What's the end game? Um, this is a hard passage because it's interesting. It's not so much a controversial passage. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 18 through 22. But in the, those that have grown up with the Apostles' Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, this has this section where Christ descended into hell and then Christ descended, not that he went to hell, but talking about this passage. And I don't want to say it's controversial, but there's a lot of theological thoughts on this. And if you're, we're one week behind on Wednesday nights, and um, 
But I appreciate Larry filling in, filling in for me and because I was trying to make my path to get out of the state, so he was helping me with that. No, <laughs> but, but we'll get back to this. We'll probably cover this in two weeks. You're really missing out on Wednesday nights. We really unpackaged this and a lot of research and stuff on this. So let's look at verses 18 through 22. For Christ has suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now, save, now saves you, now as a, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. A lot of stuff that if you just surface read this section of scripture would probably theologically get it wrong. Let's go back and look at what, what did Christ's suffering produce. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, we might, that he might bring us to God. And being put to death in the flesh, he made us alive in the spirit. So Christ suffered once, not repeatedly, for our sins. And that's what we need to understand. In this life, we may be suffering, but we won't be suffering forever. We won't be suffering continually. And it was one sacrifice, one death, once. Our substitute for our sins if we choose to accept them. He suffered. He was righteous. He knew no sin for us that are unrighteous to bring us to God. Isn't that awesome? And that's what God's called us to do as Christians is to bring others to God. We're to be Andrew who told Peter where Jesus was and brought, brought people to Christ. And that's what we're called to. He, the purpose was to bring us to God for the win. And so he did this by putting to death, he died in his flesh. The soldiers confirmed that. They were in charge of guarding the tomb. Then they were paid to lie about it. And so he was, it was confirmed that he died. Um, another way it's confirmed as we look at, the, look at the crucifixion story is normally crucifixion would take days. And you would die from asphyxiation. And because the Passover was coming, a religious holiday, they didn't want to leave him up there. It wasn't the Romans didn't care, but the Jews did. And they didn't want Jesus to be more of an embarrassment. So what they would do is they would, they would go and check. And these soldiers were experts on knowing where people were in the stage of dying. And so, as prophesied, they stuck Christ in the side and he issued out water and blood. And that was a sign that he had died. And so, again, we have that proof in Scripture that he physically died. But he was made alive in the spirit, an eternal being. Eternal spirit is alive. His body died and was in the tomb for three days. But it, he was resurrected. He was transformed into eternal state. And when he did that, and when he did this, Christ satisfied our account. Christ paid for our penalty of our sin. He opened us a way to God for all who will believe to bring us to God wholly and totally. And by killing his flesh and being alive in the spirit, Christ died for us once and for all. In our place, he was our substitute to bring us to God. Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we can be confident about that. Regardless of when we suffer, that we know follow Christ for the win. 
We can have faith in Christ. We can trust Christ. We can live life in and through the Spirit. Your first fill out, fill in. We can follow Christ for the win because the win is the end. Once and for all, yes, we're suffering right now. You win. It's settled. You've got to figure out what team you're going to be on. You don't know Christ. We see this in his actions and his words. Look at verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. That meant preach or heralded his win. He was celebrating his win. He wasn't flaunting it. This was a military term that when, when a conqueror won, they would go through letting people know. War was over. Those kind of things. This is the victor. And I'm not going to unpackage this. I'll just give you a kind of a summary. But, you know, we'll really unpackage this in two weeks on a Wednesday night. But basically, they're, I, I, yeah. it, this is fallen angels that Christ heralded the triumph. It's over. It's done. And fallen angels are demons. And some of them have already been bound, and hell is prepared for them, not you or I. But if you choose not to accept Christ in the wind, that's where you will go. That's where I would have gone. So he goes and proclaims a military victory. It's over. Christ went to proclaim victory to the enemy by announcing his triumph over sin, and Christ proclaimed victory over death and, and sin and Satan's power. And what are, what are the benefits of this victory? Look at verse uh, 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. He's talking about these fallen angels, and we can get into that whole thing about, you know, maybe they were on the earth, and then we get into the fact there's some weird stuff in Genesis chapter 6 about... They, they intermarried with, with, with human women, and just God just put a stop through that, and this is kind of part of that that we're talking about. But also we're talking about the fact of all the people, only eight people survived, and God destroyed the earth. We all know about Noah. Noah is building a boat. And if you go according to the Bible, and if you know a little research, there wasn't any rain in the days of Noah. You say, well, pastor, how do we get anything get done when there's no rain? Well, the earth was a lot different. The atmosphere was a lot thicker. And also the fact that things were watered from the ground and they never knew rain. And God said, I will destroy the earth by a flood. And so he tells Noah to build an ark for whoever. See, the ark was big enough to hold a lot of people. There was room in that ark, and it wasn't just for the animals. That God, if God controls and created the animals, He can put in the animals to like, hey, go and get in that boat and be calm, okay? Because God created that that ark. If you look at the uh, the dimensions on it, and I know you all know cubics, okay, but we don't get into that. It was probably as big as a city block, okay? A few stories. Okay, so he's building this ark. And we're talking, he didn't have his power drills, power saws. He didn't have his lithium batteries. He's putting pegs in, and then it's got to be watertight. 
So he's finding some kind of substance from trees probably and, and applying that. And so he got it done in two days because he's like a super guy, right? No. A hundred plus years, every day, he's going out. And you know every day in this wicked world that he was around, people were making fun of him and saying, Hey, Noah, even though they'd asked him 50,000 times, what you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? Because water's going to fall from the sky and kill everybody. A hundred years plus, maybe a little bit. Because people live longer. They were healthier. We have less things that, you know, and a hundred years, God's grace. Every day they were getting a physical message of, hey, God's going to win. And you need to figure out what side you're on. And for a hundred plus years, Noah essentially is suffering. But he's following God for the win. Go back there to 20 because they, they formally did not obey. And when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, formally in, in the past, they were disobedient. And God's patience was his long-suffering, his steadfastness. It was a grace period. Right now, we're in a grace period. And the thing about it is, people get all hung up on the end times and revelation, but guess what? It can happen anytime. It'll all line up. The last days, the clock is ticking. And so, what we're dealing with is grace right now. Because he wants all to be saved and none to perish. And... So it's Christ's steadfastness. It's grace. And to be prepared, to, be, to equip people, to be safe, to be saved. God provides salvation. That's Jesus. That's the ark. And then it talks about through water. We understand the ark saved physically, knowing his family. But salvation spiritually saves us and is the ark. And we're going to get into that. Spiritual baptism. We're saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when we accept that. Just as the physical flood destroyed all people, the final judgment of God will do the same unless we follow Christ for the win. God will judge. He's not going to be fair. He's going to be righteous. And what, we, what you say, well, that's wrong. He's not going to be fair. Fair is like, maybe I don't know everything, and everybody turns out the same. No, God sees everything, God knows all, and he will clearly judge. All of us. Because obviously I got found out after 30-some years, and I've got to go pay the piper. So anyway, but we see the wind through spiritual baptism. Look at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could take this verse wrong and say, you're not saved if, if, you're, if you're not baptized. And we're Baptists. We got it in our name, right? So we got to really promote it. Okay, what about the thief on the cross? When Jesus said to him, today you'll be baptized. Uh, today you'll be baptized? No, today you'll be with me in paradise. Ooh, busted that wide open. He's not talking about that. Baptism is a good thing, but the first thing when I hear, especially a child, tell me they want to get baptized, I go, well, are you a Christian if you're not baptized? And if they, it's not that I'm the judge, but if they confuse baptism with being saved, they're getting the cart before the horse. 
baptism is a wonderful thing, and, and we're going to have baptism Sunday coming up in a while, and we'll let you know. And if you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, I encourage you, because you're identifying with Christ, but it doesn't save you. A lot of people go to hell wet, because they've never made a decision for Christ, and they've just done the physical thing. They've gotten the cart before the horse. But that's not what he's talking about in this verse. Because notice, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not talking about water baptism. Good thing that you should do. It doesn't save you. You do it after you're saved. If, it, if that didn't happen or you died before that, guess what? You're still saved. It's something you should do, but it doesn't save you. So he says it corresponds, it, it forms a pattern. Uh, it's not talking about physical bad baptism, but the spiritual baptism that cleanses your conscience. Talked about the conscience last week, and Peter keeps going. Conscience just tells you something's light or dark. Doesn't make the choice for you. And it just kind of helps. And God put a conscience in all of us. And this is why we need His Word to see directly what is right and directly what is wrong. But everybody has that base. And so this cleanses our conscience spiritually. The only baptism that, and one of the commentaries said, the only baptism that saves people is dry baptism. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because in this verse, he's not talking about physical baptism. Good thing, identify with Christ, doesn't save. Let's talk about dry baptism. Water baptism doesn't save, but... Being baptized spiritually by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, is when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, a full member of the Trinity, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit at the DMV that told me, yeah, God, you're giving me the same lady, so I'm going to have to ask her forgiveness. HS was moving in my, in my heart. Okay? When I received Christ... I receive the Holy Spirit. And this is the dry baptism, the spiritual baptism. When we receive Christ, we enter the ark of salvation and we're forever rescued and we're forever safe and we're forever secure. It's not once saved, always saved. It's when saved, saved. A lot of people have been sold a false salvation. I'm not trying to make anybody doubt. But if Christ is not fully God, and you have, and He's the only way to salvation, and you haven't received Him. It's not Christ plus. It's not Christ less. Christ alone. And so, when we receive Christ, we're spiritually baptized. When we're saved, we're saved. Sometimes we can be away from God, and that's the question I ask sometimes because we all feel like we're not, you know, saved. Sometimes we're not the best. And I, I start with the question, have you ever come to Christ, or are you away from Christ? However you answer that, answers the question if you've been saved and spiritually received the Holy Spirit. We enter the ark of salvation, so your next film, we follow Christ for the wind, because in Christ we are saved and secure. Saved and secure. They were fine in that ark. We're fine in Christ. Believers are baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. 
uh, we gain membership in the Ark of Salvation. Just as Christ proclaimed victory, when, when, we, uh, when we physically get baptized, we're we are claiming victory of Christ in our life. That's when we need to get baptized, is to show others what's happening. It, it's infectious. It's not like infectious on the, and contagious on the fact of, well, I'm going to get baptized, which that's a good thing. Because a lot of times I deal with people on like, well, I got saved, but when I get a few more things worked out, I'll get baptized. Really? You're as saved and secure as you're going to be. Do it. It's a witness. It's a physical picture of dying to yourself and raising the newness to life. It encourages people not so much on getting baptized, but to make a decision for Christ. It's a beautiful picture. It proclaims victory. It, make, uh, it makes it public. It grows you spiritually. Follow Christ for the win. Water baptism is, is our way as believers to say to a dying, lost world, we follow a Christ in suffering or the win. How big is the wind? Let's look at verse 22. Who has gone to heaven is at the right hand of, uh, hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He's gone. He's departed. He ascended. When he comes back, it's going to be too late if you haven't followed Christ for the wind. He's ascended into heaven, but he will come back and at the right, he now sets at the right hand of the throne of God. He put in a place of prominence, of honor and majesty and authority and power. And I quote Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 a lot. And the last part says, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That means, as he said on the cross, it's finished. We win. We are in skirmishes right now. There's a, a, a book I got, and I started reading, I need to get back into it, but and basically the book's talking about how we're being a witness behind enemy lines. Satan is the prince of this world. He knows his time is short. He wants to do two things. He wants to drag as many people to hell as he can, and he wants to put Christians on the bench and in jail for parking tickets, you know, or something like that. You know what I'm saying. But I'm saying he wants to slow the gospel down. Christ won. These are just skirmishes. I mean, back in World War II, there were all these remote islands. Maybe there's still a Japanese uh, soldier on one of the islands that doesn't know the war's over. And we're to go to people and say, look, you're struggling like I struggle, but I want you to understand there is victory. Appreciate the songs that we sang today. We need to show that in our lives. After he was exalted, he was put in position over the authorities, the powers that were put under him. The cross and the resurrection are, are the reason that we can, that, that there is power and there's signs of the wind. Cross and the resurrection. If we just had the cross, this is why we see it. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Christ was buried for our sins. And Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. If he just died and he was buried, then we just need to shut down early and I gotta get across state lines, you know, and let's let's go. You know, I got I gotta get my new identity going here. Okay? Um, but this is this is where Christ went after he finished his work of redemption and where he rules today. It's the greatest win ever for a suffering Christian. It's the win of grace given to us. 
Christ will rule over all. His uh, his, his offering his uh, offering did uh, his suffering didn't stop him. He rose to power. To the win only shows how great the loss will be. We need to keep that in focus. We need to stop. Obviously, God trying to teach me a lesson. I thought, man, can this get any worse? Is this serious? And I, I just get to the point, I just got to laugh, and I'm like, okay, God, I know what you're trying to do. I'm going with you. Just keep it rolling. He wasn't against me. He's for us. He's trying to show me, does this really matter? No. Because Christ wins. Everything on earth and in heaven is already subject to him. One day... When Christ comes to judge, his power and authority will be known to all. Right now, people are blinded, and we need to love people, and they're lost, and we need to remember our brokenness, and when we were lost, and we need to help people see. We need to let them know that there can be victory. We can follow Christ, your last one, for the win, because now he has sat down. That is important. He said, it's over. Right now, we're Noah, and we're building our ark. We're saved as we're going to be, but we can grow in our salvation and the understanding the depth of it. And we're walking in society every day, and we're either showing the ark of our life, of our salvation and security, or we're not. And you got a lot of people going around, either making fun of you. Why, why are you at church on Sunday? Why do you go to that Bible study? Why do you pray? You're all the same. You hate everybody. God wants them to see the all to be saved and none to perish. We need to just focus on Christ and his death on the cross, as he says in 1 Corinthians 2 2. And we need to focus on him. And, we, and th this is grace right now. We need to love people. We need to give them the message. And we need to follow Christ for the win. He sat down. It's finished. And he has ultimately won. And so you're either choosing to suffer and you will fail, and we're all going to suffer, or you can choose to suffer for the win. And today and during this season, I've got a couple questions to ask you. And we need to endure suffering and follow Christ for the win because we need to remember he wins in the end. Once and for all, it is finished. We need to follow Christ for the win because in Christ, we're safe and secure, regardless of what we're dealing with. We need to follow Christ for the win because now he's set down. You all know mama or dad or uh, brother or thou. I, I just saw that one, okay? Alan's in the back. But the wife, when telling the husband to do something, the husband's trying to tell her different. She goes, I've done spoken. Okay, that's it. All right? That's Christ setting down. When we do this, we believe, you do it by believing in Christ. You may need to do that today. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. But a lot of us need to believe Christ, that we believe, believe in the Savior. But can Christ, can you help me through this suffering? We need to, you may need to receive Christ today, but we all, regardless of where we're at, need to follow Christ for the win. As we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation, you can use this offer to pray, you can talk to me, you can talk to me afterwards. But
How are you measuring winning? Oh, I got this financially, or I passed this test, or I did this, or this didn't bother me, or I got out of the state before I got caught. I don't know. Doesn't matter what's going on. Follow Christ for the win. Whatever you need to do today, follow him. Lord, I just ask that you help us to be obedient to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.